Blessed, right on. That's good. That's right. Um, before I get started, I just want to remind um, all the guys here about the uh, Men of Hope. It was probably already announced, but I uh, just want to encourage you, man, to invite your coworkers out, your, uh, your neighbors, uh, your friends. Uh, we want to just really empower the men of the church and really get this ministry going. I know God's got a lot of things to do for our church with the men here, and so we want to get that going. And Liz is going to be starting her uh, New Believers class um, the second Monday in May. So if you're a new believer, that's right, go ahead. So if you're a new believer and uh, you need to grow, which we all do, um, even if you're not a new believer, you need a refresher course. She's going to be teaching on prayer, reading the Word, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and just deepening your relationship with the Lord. And so we'll try to get a van maybe running for that, um, see if I can get some more people besides Randall. Poor guy, we almost kill him driving the van all the time. So... uh, so keep that in your uh, prayer, keep Liz in your prayer, because she does that, she does CR, and um, really get involved in that class if you're a new believer, um, it'll really help you grow. So praise the Lord. Um, my thought today is, where are you placing your hope? And um, it's in 1 Peter 3.15, and it says this, But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So, Father, I just ask this morning that you would just go before us, Lord, as a church, because, Lord, I know you have a plan and a purpose for this church called Woodland Family. And, Lord, that you want us, Father, Lord, to put you first in our lives. And, Father, that we can share the hope, Father, that we have, Father, Lord, with the lost and dying world. And I would just pray your spirit would have his way today, Lord, and touch your people. In Jesus' name. So, but in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. See, Christ must be in the right position in our hearts before we can even give the reason for the hope that we have. See, it says, set apart Christ in your hearts. Some of your Bibles might say, sanctify Christ as Lord. Sanctify means to set apart. It means to make holy. But see, we can't make Christ holy. He's already holy. But what we can do is give him the right position in our hearts. We can set him apart in the right place in our hearts. But the problem is, guys, a lot of times is we don't put Christ in the right position that he needs to be in our lives. We put him in a common place. We put him right there with doing the laundry and dishes. Oh, if I have time, I'll say a, a quick prayer here, here and there. Or, or why I'm busy doing this, I'll say my, my little short prayer here. And, and maybe if I get a little chance, I'll, I'll read a short word right there. We make him common with other priorities in our life, and we don't set him apart in our heart. What, what does common sound like? It sounds like this. Well, if there's enough time tonight, I might read before I go to bed. If there's enough time, maybe I'll go to prayer meeting this week. Or if I don't have plans Sunday with my friends or my family, maybe I'll go to church because that one guy keeps giving me a visitor card every time I show up. (laughs) See, we make our relationship with him common and not holy and not set apart. In Exodus 3 and 5, God tells Moses, he sees this burning bush, and he tells him, "Come, come near. He says, take off your shoes for where you stand is holy ground. And as I was reading that and kind of studying that, part of that is taking off your shoes and all that. It's, it's submission. It's, it's being obedient to what God says. And it's reverence. Kind of like we'd take off hats in the old days. When we'd go to church, we used to take off hats and we'd reverence the place of God. 
But I also started thinking about the shoes in my own life, how I wear a pair of shoes, and I go around town, and, and I'm always getting dust and dirt and stuff on my shoes, and things get in the crack of my shoes, and, and when I track them in my house, my wife gets mad at me. And, and I think about how as people we go around and the places we go and the people we're around and, and the things we get involved in in our life, all this stuff kind of gets on us. And then we want to go to a place with God that's holy and he wants it to be separated and he wants it to be holy. It's holy ground. And we bring all this stuff in our lives that, that mingle with our lives and we want to take it into a place that should be holy with the Lord to spend time with him. And we're mixing the things of the world with our time that should be holy and set apart for the Lord. And Lord's saying, get rid of that junk. Take it off. I want a time and a place with you that's holy, that I can meet with you that's holy. And we're always mixing these things. God is not common, and he doesn't want to share lordship with any other things in our life with him. God wants a special place and time in our hearts that's not mixed with the world. And one reason the Lord's not set apart in our hearts is because we make him Savior, but we don't make him Lord of our lives. See, we want Jesus to save us and take us to heaven and spend eternity with him, but we don't want to take no time in this day and age that we live in to spend time with him to get to know him here. And see, God's wanting us to to make a place, make time in our life where we can come and get to know him. And and we set apart a place in our hearts and our lives that's just for him and you there's no cell phones, there's no Facebook, there's nothing else but just you and him. And he's got your full, undivided attention. Luke 6 and 46 says this, So why do you call me Lord when you don't obey me? But all those who come and listen and obey me are like a man who builds his house strong on a strong foundation laid upon the underlaying. And when the floodwaters raise and break against that house, it stands firm, for it is strongly built. But those who listen and do not obey are like a man who builds his house without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it crumbles into a heap of ruins. See, guys, a lot of people want the provisions of God's kingdom, but they don't want his lordship. And there has to be a changing of the guard in our lives when we accept Christ in our hearts. It's no longer me, but Christ I must decrease, he must increase. There's got to be a place in my life where it's no longer about what I want, but it's about what Christ wants in my life. Yes, amen. That means there's got to be a separation. It's not me in control no more, but it's Christ in control of my life. The Apostle Paul puts it like this. In Galatians 2.20, he says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I myself no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the real life, I now live within this body It's a result of me trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, making Jesus Lord of our lives, guys, it's not a one-time thing. It's a daily thing. It's an everyday thing in giving him control of our life. And then Paul goes on to say this, I am not one of those who treats Christ's death as meaningless. For if we could have been saved by keeping the Jewish laws, then there would have been no need for Christ to die. I'm not one of those who treats Christ's death meaningless. How do we treat Christ's death as meaningless? When I decide I'm going to do things my way. It's my will, Jesus. I know what's best for me. I know who to pick to get married. I, I, I know what investments to make. I know how to live my life, Lord. I don't need you showing me what to do. I don't need to go get involved and serve in the church. I don't need to do any of those things. I'm in control. And when we do that, we make Christ's death on the cross meaningless. 
because he died for us. He has a purpose and a plan for you. The Bible says, I know the plans that I have for you in Jeremiah, plans for a future and a hope to prosper you. He knows already. He goes on and says in Isaiah, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As even the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. I don't have to control my life. I just have to surrender my life and my will to God's control for my life because he already knows what tomorrow brings. Going back again to that scripture, it says, but sanctify, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that is in you. And see, before we can even give people or tell people about the hope that's within us, we have to have Christ in the right position in our heart. Where are you placing your hope? See, it's easy to put hope in a lot of things, but not everything's worth putting our hope in. We put hope in the economy. We put hope in relationships. We put hope in people. We put hope in elections. And all those things will fail you because they're of the world. Hope in this world at its best is a gamble. Our hope is not worldly. Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is a certainty. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He shed his blood that I could have life and have it more abundantly. He's my hope. I don't have to have my hope in this world. It doesn't have to be in the economy. It doesn't have to be in the elections because it's in Jesus, and that is a certainty. He died. He rose from the grave. He's coming again. The Bible says, I think it was in 1 Thessalonians, with a shout of the archangel, the dead in Christ shall rise, and all of us that are alive and well and remain will go with him to be with him forever and ever. We have a certainty in the Lord. Our hope is certain. It's not a worldly hope. It's a certainty in Christ because Christ died for us. In uh, Matthew 8, 23, uh, Jesus is asleep in the boat. It says this, The day of the evening came, and he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side, leaving the crowd behind. And they took him along, and just as um, he was in the boat, and there was other boats, it says a, fur- a furious squall, which means storm, came up and was breaking over the boat so that there was nearly swamped. And Jesus was in the stern asleep on a cushion. And the uh, disciples woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care if we're going to drown? And he got up and he rebuked the wind. And he said to the waves, Be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? You still have no faith. It's funny how storms in our life will cause us to forget who's in the boat with us. You know, all these things come at us in our lives and uh, whirlwinds, trials, tribulations. And if we're not careful, we'll get our eyes on those things, on those situations, and we forget that Christ is in the boat with us. And Christ is he's sitting there, he's sleeping. Disciples are kind of going crazy. You know, we're going to drown, you know. It's like, Lord, don't you care? The Lord just snoring. He's probably just got back here chilling out, you know. And uh, they forget their hope is in Christ. It's not in the boat. It's not in the situation. It's in Christ. He's our hope. And if Christ is in the boat, we're, we're not going to drown. We're not going under. I'd rather be in the storm with Jesus than be in the calm without him. You know what I mean? I like it how Jesus, he just gets up and he rebukes the wind and it calms down. I love it when Jesus prays. There's always something that happens when Jesus prays. When he prays, the, the dead's raised, the sick's healed. That those that can't speak can speak. Those that can't hear can hear. Let me, it just shows me prayer changes things. Prayer will change the situation in your life. It will move mountains. 
Prayer will save your life, because I know every time my wife cooks, I pray. <laughs> Lord, let it taste good. Lord, don't let it kill me. I know, man. It's like... <laughs> I'm probably eating alone after that today, so it's like a... Taco Bell, here I come. Praise the Lord. We have to stay strong in our hope, guys. We need to be working on our relationship with the Lord. I think that's one of the reasons so many Christians are up and down in their faith in Christ is because we lack the dedication and time to develop our personal relationship with the Lord. We need to spend the Christ and get, uh, time with Christ and get to know Him and get to know our hope. See, every time these altars are open... You should be down here praying. You should be down here seeking the Lord. We're a Pentecostal church. We believe in prayer. We believe in laying on the hands. We believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And there's something about when you come down to an altar and you just lay out before the Lord and you, you are broken before the Lord, things change in your life. And every one of us need the Spirit of God in our life. We need to be broken before the Lord so we can grow in Him, grow in our relationship with Him, put Him in that place in, in our lives that we need Him to be so that we can tell people about the hope that's within us. Nothing can take the place of our personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. I had a friend one time that a, a person was really in need and a, I was telling them, well, did you invite them to church? And they were like, well, no, because we didn't really have uh, young people there, and you know, our music's not that good, and this was a while back. And uh, she was like, no. So I, I told them some other churches to go to. And, and as I thought about that, I was just like, you know, it's funny how, how people think the need's going to be met by a church. It's going to be met by music. It's going to be met by a program when really the Bible says it's the hope that lies within us. What is, is your hope in a church? Is your hope in a program? Because churches fail. Programs, you take Christ out of it, it's just a program. You take the Spirit of God out of here, it's just a get-together. Christ is our hope. Christ is the one that died for you. He's the one that shed his blood for you. That's our hope, church. It's not about, I love my church, Woodland family, I love Woodland family, but it's not about Woodland family. Let me tell you, Jesus saved me. He set me free. He delivered me. He gave me healing. He changed my life. I go to Woodland family just because I love the Lord and I want to serve, and that's a place I can serve, but my hope is not in my church. It's in Jesus because he's the one that set me free. I want to read a, a spot in Mark here real quick if my iPad will uh, open up. It's a little slow sometimes. Ah, praise the Lord. It is. It did open up. So it's a little lengthy, but just bear with me because I want to go somewhere with this. It says, He went across to the, uh, to the lake on the region of the Garnesia. And when Jesus got out of boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with chains. For he had often been chained and had bound hand and foot, and he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. And no one was strong enough to subdue him. And night and day among the tombs and in the hills he cried out, and he cut himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees, and in front of him he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? 
God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had seen him, and he said, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again not to send him out into the area. And a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside, and the demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs and into the herd, about 2,000 in number, and they rushed down a steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this to the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw a man who had been possessed by a legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid, and so those who had seen it had told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told them about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus, leave the region. And Jesus uh, was getting into the boat. This man, who had been demon-possessed, begged him to go with him. And Jesus did not let him, but he said, go home to your people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in all Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. So Jesus goes to this region he doesn't normally go to, and this demon-possessed man that's been in these tombs living among the dead things come out, meets Jesus, they recognize Jesus, and they, they don't want to be cast out, and so Jesus tells them they can go into these pigs, and they go into these pigs, these people's livelihood there in that area, and they run down this hill, and they're drowned, and they come out of the towns, and they see this man that's been possessed, it's been causing all kinds of chaos, been bound and chained and crying out at nighttime, set free in his right mind. But they also lost a bunch of money because they did meat in that area. They had pigs and, and stuff like that. And, and so all these pigs were drowned. And so there's part of their economy right there that's went down. And so they're probably already kind of mad and upset at this guy. And so they're telling Jesus because they're, they're kind of not really sure about this stuff being cast out of him and, and all that. And so they're, they're wanting him to leave the region, to take off. And this, so this man knows that these people are going to be kind of mad at him because... You know, they've lost money here already, and he's already caused a problem by hanging out and crying at night and wailing and screaming and all that. And so he's all, Lord, take me with you. And Jesus says, no. He's all, go back to your home. Go back to your people and share what the Lord has done with you and how he's had mercy on you. And I want to I take this now, and I want to apply it to kind of where we're at today. So this man, he lived in the tombs. He lived among the dead things. And that's kind of like the world we live in today. We live in a world full of the walking dead. There's a lot of people that are alive, but spiritually they're dead. They don't know Christ. They're outside of the grace and mercy of Christ because they've never accepted him in their life. And there's a lot of people in the church that are the walking dead. They come to church. They attend church. But it's casual. It's common. Jesus has no place really in their heart. And they're, they're spiritually among the walking dead. Number two, uh, no one was strong enough to, to do him. That shows me that, that he was out of control. And we live in a world where there's a lot of people that's just out of control with the way they live their lives. And number three, it says, night and day among the tombs and the hills, he cried out. And we live in a, in a world where people are crying out in hurt and in pain, in our need of deliverance and help and hope. And for he says he cut himself with stones. And we live in a world full of hurting people. And if you go to CR, you know hurt people hurt people. Kids cut themselves nowadays. Suicide is rapid. 
It's, uh, it's one of the number one killers on the Native American reservations. If you know anything about Native Americans, it, it, the suicide rate there marvels any city in the United States. And in 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man had been demon-possessed, begged him to go with him, and Jesus said, no, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and uh, how he's had mercy on you. So the man went and began to tell in Decapolis how much the Lord had done for him and all the people were amazed. See, he could have let him go, but he didn't want him to go. He wanted him to go back to a people to share the hope that was in him. And I was, as I was studying this and reading this out, Jesus actually goes back to this area some 18 months later. And this crowd of people that wanted Jesus to leave and, and didn't want nothing to do with him because they weren't sure what was going on with these demon-possessed people. Some 4,000 people come out now to hear what Jesus has to say. And in Israel, archaeologists have found one of the largest citadels in all Israel in that area. And I wonder if it comes back and it goes back to that one man. That instead of just going and doing his own thing, or going with Jesus, Jesus said, no, go back to your people, go back to your town, go back to your friends and family, and share with them the hope that was in you. Because see, he was bound, he was messed up, he had demons, he was in a dark place. But he went back to a people, and he shared the hope that was in him. He didn't share hope about the disciples, he didn't share hope about a religion or a church, but he shared the hope that was in him, that, hey, I was messed up, I was bound, I was demon-possessed, but this man called Jesus came and set me free. He touched my life, he changed me, and he told me to go share the hope that's within me, church. That's our job. It's to share the hope that Christ has in our lives. What has he done for you? It's not about just bringing people to church. It's not about music and all these other things that we want to make religion and Christianity about. It's about what's Jesus done in your heart. What has he set you free from? What has he delivered you from? That's the hope that's in you. Christ, he's changed my life. And the thing about that, the Bible says, this man was demon-possessed. His name was Legion. And what I was reading, that's between somewhere between five and 6,000 demons, scholars want to say this man had in him. This man was in a dark place. He broke chains, shackles, people couldn't subdue him. And what that says to me is there's no dark place in your life that you can go that Jesus can't set you free. Amen. Jesus can set you free. The hope that's within us. God's called all of us to affect the people on our jobs and our friends and our neighbors to introduce them to Jesus. We're to be life changers. We're to share the hope that's within us, guys. Not our church, not our programs, not our ministries, but the hope that's within us, and that's Christ. Psalm 71 says this, For you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From birth I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will praise you. I have become a sign to many that you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all the day long. My hope is in Christ, guys. What's your hope in today?
What's your hope in today? Where are you placing your hope? See, the man in the tombs, life was changed by Jesus because he received a new hope. In return, he had a heart to reach the lost. So what, what's your heart reaching out for today? What's your heart speaking? Is your heart reaching out for the things of this world? Your desires? Or is your heart reaching out for the things that God desires and God desires for your life? We need the heart of God. We need to be praying, praying, praying for the heart of God. I always tell people, pray for the heart of God. Because when you pray for the heart of God, it changes your life. It changes you. You can't pray that prayer. I said that last time. You can't pray that prayer and things not change in your life. Because the heart of God is for the lost. It's for those that are hurting. It's for the needs of the community and people. It's not self-involved. It's not self-serving. But it's, it's outgoing. It's, it's to reach people and touch people's lives. Amen. And see, there's still a lot of seats in here that's empty if you look around today. And the only way that it's going to change is when we get the heart of God and we begin to go out and share the hope that's within us. You can come back, Jen. I'm not very long today. God's got a heart for people. Luke 14, 23 says this. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. See, guys, God's heart, it beats for the lost. And he wants our heart to beat for the lost. There was a young man named Michael Brady. And he was in his early 30s. And he was a young, fit guy, had a young wife, a young family. And he got his dream job. He became a Hollywood stuntman. And his specialty was jumping out of helicopters. And so Michael, one day, was uh, going over his riggings and making sure it was set for the next stunt, and he slips on the ladder and he falls. He falls to his death. And so the medical crew there quickly noticed that Michael was an organ donor. So they do everything they can to preserve his organs. Now, across the country was a a man named Bill Hall, and he was different than Michael. He wasn't in shape. He was out out of shape. He was overweight, and... um, He'd done things to his body to destroy his body. As a matter of fact, he was on an artificial heart for like 159 days. And so he gets the call that we have a match for, for a heart replacement, and it's Michael's heart. And so he goes in, surgery, and the surgery goes really well. And uh, um, Bill comes out of the surgery, and he's, he's pondering what can he do to honor this person that, that gave him his heart. What can I do? What, what changes can I make in my life? So Bill decides he's going to start working out, getting in shape, and he does. He works out. He starts losing weight. He gets in shape, and he even runs a couple of marathons. And so after the statute of limitations runs out and he can find out who the heart donor was, him and his wife decide to get in touch with the heart donor's family, and they set and they arrange a meeting. And so they're going to meet at this restaurant, and Bill and his wife, they get there ahead of time because they're kind of excited. And so as they're sitting there waiting and looking out the window, a car pulls up. And so they see a young lady that gets out of the car, and Bill knows right then that's, that's the young uh, wife. 
And then he sees two children get out of the car. And Bill knows that's, that's Michael's two kids because they look just like their daddy. And then they see an elderly lady get out of the car. And he knows that's the mom because she had the look that only a mom can have when you lose a son. And then this elderly gentleman gets out. And Bill knows that's the father. And he sees a, a stethoscope. I think that's what it's called. Is that what it's called, Heidi? Stethoscope? Okay. So he gets out and he knows right off the bat what this elderly gentleman, this father, is going to do. So they come in the restaurant, he meets the family, and he sticks his hand out to uh, shake uh, Michael's dad's hand, and Michael's dad doesn't even put out his hand. He just says, Mr. Wall, I have to ask you a question. I need to ask you a favor. He said, I miss my son. I miss my boy so bad. He said, see, I, I taught him to play baseball. I taught him to hunt, and I taught him to fish, and I was so proud of him when he got that job. He goes, I miss my son so bad. Mr. Hall, would you do me the favor? Can I hear my heart's, my son's heart just one more time? Can I hear it beat just one more time? And when I think about that in the spiritual sense, guys, if, if our Heavenly Father must take a thesoscope, scope and put it up to the body of Christ, would he hear his son's heart beating for the lost? Would he hear it beating for those in need? If he put that scope up to your heart and my heart, would he hear my heart beating for those that are in need outside this church that are hurting, that are lost, that needs hope, the hope that I have in me? What is your heart beating? What would your heart say? Would he hear our heart for the lost? Or would he hear a heart that beats for selfish ambitions, selfish desires, that's got no time for God, but just time for yourself? Because see, Jesus died on the cross for you. He died on the cross for me. Not for you to stay in a place where you're bound, where you're tied up by the enemy, or the storms of life are choking you. Christ came to bring freedom, to set you free, to give freedom to his body. We're not to be bound. We're to share the hope and the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to all those around that are hurting and bound. We're to spread the good news. We have the hope today in Christ, in our hearts, in our lives. What's your hope in this morning, church? What's your heart speaking? With every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here this morning and God hasn't been a priority in your life, maybe you're here and you don't even know the Lord is your Savior, I would like to pray with you. If you'd slip your hand up, I'll pray with you. We'll ask the Lord to come in your heart here in just a minute. If you're here today, and like I said, you haven't been making the Lord a priority in your life. He's been common ground in your life with everything else. I'd like to pray with you. Because the Lord wants a special place with you. He wants to meet you in a special place. That it's just you and Him. And there's no distractions. Because He loves you.